0: Again, I want to say uh, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning, to worship with you. I just am grateful that you woke up, walked outside in the beautiful crisp, crisp fall air and beautiful clear blue skies and decided to come and worship with us. That is a wonderful thing, and to know that you are here, and to know that those who are joining us through our virtual platforms, that we are gathered together in the Spirit of Christ, and we know that Christ is with us as we gather to worship and glorify His name. Now, we've been in this, um, this uh, sermon series now for, this is our third week called Resetting. You know, we had this every year. It's been kind of the tradition of the church, I and mean, every church I've been a part of, and and, and the church here has been a tradition that we have this fall kickoff. It's this season that we kind of, everything kind of launches. It's like a launch point, a point in time where we, you know, you blow the whistle, you, you fire the starting gun, and you kick off everything. And it's, you know, on one particular Sunday, typically in September, typically everything just launches. All our new Bible studies, our programs, our new Sunday school classes, all this stuff just kind of unloads. And then 2020 came, and we didn't do much of any kind of kickoff. And then 2021 arrived, and the staff, and we all began to think and to imagine and dream that COVID-19 and the Delta surge would be behind us, and we will be able to have a kickoff. So we began to plan for our fall kickoff and have Sunday school classes and Bible studies and programs, and on this particular Sunday, things would just launch. And then the Delta surge didn't go away and COVID-19, we're still talking about it. And and so our kickoff looks more like a slow rolling start. And so we thought, well, you know, let's just embrace where we are and what we're doing. Let's just say, we're resetting things. It's not so much a kickoff as we're going to reset. And I think there's a lesson in here. From this drastic moment in time, this episode of COVID-19 that has changed how we gather, when we gather, what we do, what we can't do when we gather. There's something in life, something about living life, that we're always, always having to react. Having to respond to something. Life has its ways of throwing obstacles in our path. Things that we have to find a way around, to the left or to the right or under or over or through. Because we want to keep moving, we want to keep growing, we want to keep doing. But life just has this way of throwing obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And we're constantly finding ourselves responding and reacting and that's what the church has been doing and so what better way to frame what we're doing and how we're trying to do it and what we're not trying to do but to think about resetting how do we reset ourselves how do we reset our faith in jesus christ the cornerstone the stone that was rejected by the religious leaders and rejected by the world but becomes our cornerstone, the cornerstone of our faith, that everything is hinged on, everything finds its plumb upon, and, and that is the foundation of our faith, which allows us to begin addressing priorities of our lives. What is really important? How do we stack things up? How do we order our lives when we know that we have this cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, who was there for us, with us, working with us and through us to transform the world? That's our calling. We find ourselves as these living stones stacked one upon the other, living and breathing. This organization, this organism that's a house, a spiritual house, a holy temple where holy sacrifices are offered, where the good news of God is proclaimed to the world. And as we address these priorities, we find ourselves resetting our community. And that's what we're talking about today, is how do we understand, how do we reset our community that is founded and based on the faith in Jesus Christ, who calls us to be living stones, to be built, to be built up, and to proclaim the good news. It's a great question. And it's one I've wrestled with for weeks. And community is very important to me, to God, to the church. Community is important to every person who has ever taken breath. It just is. It's part of the human condition. As I think about community, I'm drawn, much as the scriptures draw all of us, to this metaphor of marriage. The Old Testament scriptures use marriage as a a way to talk about how the ancient Israelites rebelled against God and went after false gods and idolatry. That was called adultery between the relationship between God and the Israelites. It broke down the relationship between God and the Israelites. There's all kinds of things that break down relationships between humanity and God. There's all kinds of barriers and obstacles and things and ideas and notions and words that break down relationships among us. So when I think about marriage, I I think about the prophet, Hosea, and his wife, Gomer. Hosea was called by God to be a prophet, to secure a wife, who led a life, well, let's say she was not exactly upright and standing in the community. She would have been from the red light district. And we find throughout the story of Hosea this prophet chasing after his wife who constantly wants to run away and sell herself into fornication, adultery. This metaphor between that happens between Gomer and Hosea is the metaphor that the prophet uses as the, the relationship that exists between the Israelites and God. Israelites constantly run away towards false gods. God's constantly chasing after to redeem them, to bring them back. And if we follow the story of the Old Testament, we find this notion of community and God working with different individuals to bring the community back, to bring God's people back to himself. It begins with Abraham, who was called to leave his home country, his homeland, to travel to a foreign land, to be a stranger in a strange land, they have descendants. That would be the family of God. This would move into Moses who would lead the Israelites, this, this, the people of God, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, into the promised land. And then where, where we find the, the judges, these individual heroes who tell the story of God redeeming God's people yet again, time and again. Through These individual heroes. But it's always about the people of God. And then we find ourselves in the stories of the kings and the prophets, always about shepherding the people back to relationship with God. Until we land with Jesus Christ, who calls the community together as the disciples, those 12, those 72, who would become thousands, who would become a full-blown religion, a state religion in the empire, a world religion, As it crossed the seas, but how does all this make sense of marriage, or how does marriage make sense of all of that history? You know, when I when I'm asked to officiate a wedding, I I ask to meet with the couple for at least three times, possibly four times, to kind of get to know the couple and then get to know me and just have a conversation about marriage and a conversation about relationships and conversations about what life is like on the other side of being married, how life may change, how we expect it to change, how it may change in ways we don't expect, and and how do we react, how do we respond? And one of the first conversations that we have after I have told the couple that my job as the as the pastor is to talk them out of this, no, just kidding. <laughs> One of the first conversations that we have is about covenant. That when a couple enters into marriage, they're entering into this relationship that is a covenantal relationship. It's based on promises that the couples they make. They make to each other, they make to themselves, and they make to God. It's a binding promise. And it sounds easy enough, and if, if, if life goes as planned, and, and there are no hiccups, and there are no obstacles, then life is easy, and these promises are easy to keep. But what happens when life doesn't go as planned, and the obstacles are more burdensome than we want? They're deeper, they're bigger, they're taller, they're wider, they're heavier than we feel we can carry. What do we do with these promises? What does it mean for the covenant? Well, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it doesn't mean anything. We've made a promise. And regardless of what the other partner does, or regardless what happens, we've made a promise that we have promise to keep That's a vow it's a covenant it doesn't matter what comes and sometimes we we know that a broken relationship is the only course left but maybe because we are wired in such a way humanity is wired in such a way that covenant when we break such a covenant, when we break our promises to our, to our partner, to ourself, and to our God, it hurts. And there's no way around it. And it breaks down community. And maybe that's the, the point of the metaphor of a marriage that, that God uses with, with Hosea and Gomer. And Peter is using with the spiritual house At the point of all of this is this community that God is building in the world and it starts with this rejected stone who is Jesus Christ the world rejected and killed Jesus Christ for what he said and for what he didn't do Now, as you let that sink in, let's look at where these people were who Peter writes to in the letter of 1 Peter. These early Christians that Peter writes to are living in five provinces of Asia Minor. And they are new Christians. It's a new church. It's a new movement. A new sect is seen as a new faith, even if it's as old as time. It's misunderstood. And so, what is happening to these early churches is that they are being oppressed or being persecuted in various ways. It probably wasn't the empire, it probably wasn't Caesar pressing down upon this growing movement of, of Christian faith, it was probably more local than that. It was probably within these five provinces that the governors or city officials and synagogue officials were beginning to push uh, converted Jews out of the synagogue, those Jewish folks who were now claiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Lord. They were being kicked out of the synagogue and ostracized. It, it was probably those members of households who began to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and and beginning to follow this new faith that was against and, and opposed to their family traditions and their old pagan religions. And they were being kicked out and ostracized from their families. And it may have been city officials, religious officials in other ways, who were just putting pressure on this young church. Peter understood the threat. That This was a real threat to this new movement, this faith, his, this, this community that was building in these provinces. And, 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 and throughout the world, wherever we find these young churches, they were under extreme pressure. And so these people were finding themselves outside of society. They were kicked out of their homes. They were kicked out of their religious communities. They were kicked out of life altogether, and they were considered nobody. They had no voice. They had no position. They had no vote. They were nobodies, no matter who they were. And so Peter writes to these people, who are now beginning to feel, should we just give in? Should we just try to align ourselves and, and, and maybe kind of get along with, with our old religions? Maybe we can marry these two together. Maybe we can find ways to, to just make it all work. Maybe we can be both and. And Peter writes to these young churches, and he says, I want to begin in verse 1. Because I think it's important for us to hear how Peter begins his encouragement and his instruction. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So that, it, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. Peter begins this pericope with these vices, guile, malice, slander, envy. These are vices that destroy a sense of community, utterly destroy a sense of community. You know, if we think about our John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he offered three rules, three general rules to help lead the Methodist church, to help lead the bands and the classes and the churches to be a community. These three rules are first, do no harm, and the second, do all the good you can. And the third, stay in love with God. It's interesting to me that we begin with the vices. And John Wesley begins with do no harm, which will help pave the way for us to do good, for us to have a sense of community, and for us together as a people to love God together, to glorify God, to worship God, to offer our sacrifices to God, to be a holy people. I I wonder and I, I question, why begin with the negative? But I guess it's the only way. We have to get rid of all this stuff that's in our way. And by the power and the strength of Christ, we can do just that. We can get all of these obstacles of community out of our way and focus on doing the good. to help build community. In the, if you read through the letters in the New Testament, most of them, if not all of them, are about protecting Encouraging and building the church, this community of faith. How do we live in such a way that builds the community up? How do we live in such a way that doesn't destroy this community that God is building? These living stones, you and I as living stones built upon this cornerstone. When we read Peter, we understand that he's saying, get rid of all the malice and all the guile and all the insincerity and all the envy and all the slander. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, Paul sees the works that destroy community as fornication, impurity, lasciviousness idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He goes on to say, I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul continues to offer this positive instruction and encouragement. He says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in the, book, in the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he summarizes all of this to help give instruction for the community of faith, for the churches, with three simple words. You know what these are? They're very familiar. Faith, hope, and love. Three simple words. These are the ways we build community. This is how we stay together, how we become these living stones that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifices. As I think about this sense of community, how important it is, the next question is, how do we do it now? How do we do it today? Well, we, we follow the old Middle Ages, medieval adage and say we live with a sense of theology. We all have a theology, this understanding of God, this belief in God, how we talk about God. And maybe our th- theology that leads us is faith, seeking understanding. And if we live in such a way as that, We need to make available ways to seek understanding. And I think the best way the church has found is through Bible study, community Bible study, where we gather together as believers, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and study together. We pray together. We question together. We think together. And so today we started a new Sunday school class. Wesley classes continue as meeting in person, and we'll start a new Bible study on Wednesday night at 5: 30. The confirmation class will be commissioned today, and they'll begin their classes, and they will grow in their faith and in their understanding of faith. And at the end of their class, they will meet in this room and meet before us, and they will make a promise for themselves, much like the promise their parents made for them when they were baptized. And now they'll take that promise on as their own. They'll enter into this covenant community to be living stones, to love one another, to pray with one another, to learn with one another, to forgive with one another, to be vulnerable with one another and be strong with one another to be a spiritual house made up of living stones. And how do we do it? As According to Peter, we just let it happen. We let Christ, we let the Holy Spirit lead us to be living stones. You know, when I was I used to love to play basketball, and I was never good, but I really enjoyed pickup basketball. I haven't played in several years, and uh, my body tells me that all the time. And um, when I was playing, there was a guy that I used to play with. His name was Justin, and and Justin was quite the character. He was about 6'8 or 6'9, and uh, I liked being on his team because he was 6'8 or 6'9, whereas I'm 5'8, 5'9, so having somebody a foot taller is always a good thing. And I remember there was one occasion where I was on his team and I, and I, and I just couldn't hit a shot. It was one of those days I couldn't, I couldn't make it happen. And he, he looked at me after I put up some ugly brick of a shot and he said, you just need to get out of your own way. And you know, that little saying has stuck with me. That sometimes we just have to get out of our own way. And our own way is typically what the world has taught us. And it's things like guile and malice and slander and envy. And we have to get out of our way and not use those vices, those tools to lead our lives. And that's what Peter is telling the church. He's telling us. Get out of your own way and let God do God's work and build you up. So I challenge us and I encourage us to get out of our own way and let God do God's thing, and that's to build us up as a living spiritual house that offers holy sacrifices to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.